It dawned on me this week as we've been going through this series of the Jesus questions that most of us, most of the time, still feel like we're not even done asking God our questions yet. And now we're already supposed to be at the place where he's provoking um, and, and probing our hearts with his questions back. And that's what we've been encountering in this. And as I looked this week at the question um, we're going to delve into a little bit deeper, I realized that there's probably nobody who is the recipient of more pointed questions from Jesus throughout the Gospels than Peter. And Peter makes this great case study of character development throughout the Gospels from where he starts at to where he ends, not only when the Gospels are done, but when the church becomes founded. And this fisherman who becomes the, the rock, the bedrock underneath the early church, goes through a dramatic transformation. Now, when the canon of Scripture closes, we're never actually told how Peter dies, but fortunately, Wikipedia does, and, well, and a lot of other early church fathers, too, including um, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, and in 1601, Caravaggio did this work on the crucifixion of Peter, and if you don't know the historical church legend surrounding this story, it's that Peter died in Rome, um, being crucified upside down, not considering himself worthy to have died the same way that Jesus did. Well, one thing is for certain, Peter certainly underwent persecution, probably indeed was martyred like the other apostles for his faith, um, and became this unwavering person in that process. So when Jesus asks him the question directly into Peter, Will you really lay down your life for me? The first time he was asked that question, he wasn't in a place yet to answer it in a way that went beyond just his words. But God was taking him on a journey just like he is you and I. And the most encouraging thing I got this week from looking at the character development of Peter is that it probably resembles a lot of what you and I can relate to. A lot of stumbling moments, a lot of things in our Christianity where we say before we know how to do and where so many even the things that we sing in worship are almost more aspirational than they are already. They're more in the not yet than they are in the already now because we want them to be true but we know that so often it's not. We're preaching them to ourselves and we're trying to live into that. And so Peter becomes this great model of what happens of a life given to the relentless pursuit of surrender. We pick up the story right after Judas now in John 13 has left the room. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He has um, transformed the Passover into this special meal with them. And what we now know is communion. Judas leaves, and then we pick up the story in verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you love one another. 
Simon Peter asked him, Lord, but where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And I can imagine Jesus almost smiling kindly when he answers, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This passage is interesting in the way that Jesus describes how we are called to live. A new command I give you, love one another. Well, that doesn't actually sound all that new, does it? We've been being told this since the book of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love is this sort of theme that moves throughout Scripture of God's love for us and our love for others. But what is new is the description that follows. As I have loved you, in the same way that I have loved you, just as I have loved you, as one who washes your feet, who lays down his life, who puts aside his own agenda and self-protection for others, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. We go to a place called Dort University and are part of a community here, and we love that word. Community is this great buzzword in Christianity. Community. Um, but the reality is the purpose of living in community is to learn how to do this. See, because if you have no interest in learning to die to your own agenda and live for somebody else, then please, on behalf of all of us, don't become a spokesman for Jesus Christ or his church. I mean, has there ever been any damage more done to our reputation anywhere around the world and in our own communities than by Christians being horrible to each other? We get in the way of our own witness when we say one thing and then treat somebody else like garbage. And we're trying to create this consistency. We talked last week about the deep work that we're being called to work out in our lives. The opportunity that we have in the relationships that we've been given in our friendships and with roommates and with people in our community, the reality is, is you actually have more to learn about becoming more like Jesus from the person on this campus that you like the least than actually from the person that you like the most. This is the hard part of discipleship. This is where the questions start getting a little more pointed. And, but the reality is the credibility of the witness to the name of Jesus is on the line. So this is work worth doing. And I know that we don't think about it like that, but every time we resolve a conflict with someone in a beautiful way, or out of kindness, our witness gets a little bit louder. If you want to figure out how to put a microphone or an amplifier in front of your Christian faith, perhaps the greatest way to do it is to look around the people God has given you and ask yourself, how am I treating them? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. This line challenges me on all sorts of levels. As I think about all the different relationships in my life, if my message, my witness, my testimony, my life 
comes down to this. So when the question gets asked of Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? We get to the end of the gospel, the end of the life of Jesus, and we really kind of go all the way back to the beginning. It's still about the simplest things. Step one in discipleship, deny yourself. Before you take up your cross and follow me and find a place to give voice to this, this is where Christianity starts. Jesus started the instruction here, and we're back here still at the end. Will you really lay down your, will you really lay down your agenda? Will you really give up self-protectionism? Self-interest? Self-righteousness? For self-abandonment? And the irony of all of this is, is this is happening with, to the guy he called Peter. You'll wonder at the beginning when Jesus actually gives Peter this name of everything that happens to Peter throughout the Gospels, if it's almost like one of those ironic nicknames. Right, like when you call a seven-foot guy tiny, or Aaron Rodgers classy. Sorry, that's a Vikings joke. Um, but you know what I mean, right? Like, we, we, we have names like this for different people that are ironic, but really when you think about someone today with the nickname like The Rock or Peter, you think of this, right? I've never really imagined the disciple Peter to look like this, probably for a lot of very good reasons. But I stewed a bunch of this week on this idea of petering out. You ever wondered the etymology of this phrase? And I wondered at first, like, does this actually come from the life of the disciple, St. Peter, who kind of stumbles again and again, and his faith peters out in these different moments. And even at the end, when Jesus asks him to stand by him, and his life is on the line, Peter's calling down curses, denying the fact that he even knows this person. He peters out. Well, I was curious enough to actually do the etymology behind this, and nobody knows for certain where this comes from, but this is our best guess. This term petering out first appears in American literature in the mid-1800s, and it has to do with the slang related to mining, where saltpeter, um, element of dynamite, is used to blast rocks. So when you would find a vein of gold or silver and are trying to blast through it to figure out if there's a treasure at the end of it, if that vein runs out as the saltpeter begins to blow the rock up, if that vein peters out, it started off with promise, but ended up in disappointment. That's one theory. The other one, and some etymologists think this is actually more likely, is it comes from the French word peter, which means to explode, or used in modern French, to fart or pass wind. To peter out. So when Jesus calls Peter aside and tells him, you are Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and then we go on to see the story of someone who stumbles, what's really going on? Jesus speaks aspirational words over Peter, and he gives him a name and an identity that he's going to have to learn how to live into and walk into. You have been given an identity that you're still learning how to walk into, to grow up into, so am I. Well, whatever the etymology of the term petering out, Peter himself does peter out, doesn't he? Jesus himself tells him and he's acting like Satan and tells him to get behind him, that he's actually in the way of what God wants to accomplish in Jesus. Doubting, he starts to sink while walking on the water out to Jesus. He misunderstands the transfiguration altogether 
and asks if they could just sort of stay in this moment and not go back down and not do the rest of ministry and just really misunderstands what the whole moment is all about. When Jesus is finally, after this moment, going to go get arrested, Peter, in a moment of mistaken bravery but terrible swordsmanship, tries to lop off a guy's head probably but only gets his ear, only for which Jesus turns around and heals the very person that that Peter has just tried to hurt defending him. A couple of verses before this, he initially refuses to allow Jesus to even wash his feet, and that's before he disowns Jesus three times, calling down curses in some forms in the gospel, even swearing, saying, I don't know the guy. All right after saying that he would. And then even on the other side of the resurrection, well, in many ways he kind of gives up on this and goes back to fishing. So when Jesus says to him, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Jesus is speaking over Peter and over us the possibilities of what a resurrection life of practice can look like. Could Peter ever have imagined that moment when Jesus first called him that he would be the rock and the anchor of the early church? That he would go to and have to speak over people's lives who would experience persecution and death and sword, and being socially ostracized within their communities for their association with Jesus, something he knew so well himself. Could he do it in that moment? No, but could he do it later? Yes, and he would lead the whole church in it. Only five chapters into the book of Acts, Peter gets called into the Sanhedrin and gets the crap beat out of him. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, a name that he would not even associate with himself with for fear that he himself would get hurt. Now he is celebrating that he's been beaten being associated with the name of Jesus. See, he couldn't do it then, but he would do it later. There is a distance right now between the person that you are and the person or those fleeting moments where you feel you are the person or could be the person in this area of your life that God is calling you to be. And Peter makes such a beautiful case study for us because he is this. Can you relate to this? The times when you look in the mirror and there's a sin in your life that's been bugging you for so long and when you look at yourself, the reflection looking back at you just looks at you with disappointment because it's still there. Jesus isn't done with you yet. You look at the things that you're not good at and you think that they define you or the voices tell you that and the reality is is Jesus is still speaking a new identity over you telling you you are more than just your doubts and you are more than just your sins. Peter himself not only becomes the recipient of this teaching from Jesus but he actually becomes the teacher of it for others. His character, his character development from that horrible moment of abandoning Jesus, and it says in one of the Gospels that Jesus actually turned and looked at him in that moment. Can you imagine selling out your own best friend for self-protection, and then they look at you in that moment? But the pool of God's grace doesn't have a bottom. And disappointment after disappointment, Peter couldn't find the end of it. He just kept falling into arms of grace. And so do you. Listen to the kind of teaching Peter says when it, by the time the book of 1 Peter gets written. To disciples in the diaspora spread throughout the early church and around the world in a time of deep persecution. Listen to how much this sounds actually like Jesus himself. 
like it could have been a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And I know that many of you know this next verse, but did you know that this is Peter who says this? The person who earlier in his life couldn't do it now gives this instruction as he's learned how to do it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It didn't hit me until this week that it's Peter who said that. Peter who was tongue-tied. Peter who abandoned Jesus. Peter who denied even being associated with him. Now says always be prepared to give an answer. And I'm hoping you're probably asking the question somewhere inside of you right now. Well, how do you get from there to there? How does those things happen in life? How does that part of our sanctification occur? It really is in the daily practicing of the little things. You know, in the time of the early church, they inherited from the Jewish community before them three common practices of piety, of almsgiving, of prayer, and of fasting. And now, today, I would argue that fasting is the least practiced Christian discipline. And yet, in an age of complete and utter instant gratification and self-indulgement, this might actually be the most needed Christian discipline today. I think Christians today fundamentally misunderstand what this is all about. To fast is to willingly deny yourself something. It's sort of pra- it's practicing discipleship. You want to practice a sport or an instrument to get good at it? Christians, I think, need to practice fasting a little bit more. You want to learn how to say no to yourself when you're sitting on Amazon looking at buying that next bathing suit? I think it's fasting. You want to beat that porn addiction that's bugged you forever? I think it's fasting. How do we get our own desires under control is by practicing. If you can say no for a defined period of time to the most basic thing that gives you life, then perhaps also you will be able to exercise and grow those muscles in the capacity to say no to the other things. So be honest with yourself. What is it that's garnering your attention that's distracting you? I was praying about this on a more over the Christmas break and really felt convicted in my own life that I needed to get rid of some voices that were influencing me too heavily in my life. So I deleted every sports app, news app, and social media app off my phone and thought for one year I'm going to try to limit those voices um, and just focus in a little more on the voice that I need to hear from above all others. So I'm doing this social media, news, sports, fasting thing, and I think in today's day and age, maybe that's probably one that's getting me more than anything else. So what is it that gets you? What should you be fasting from that you would exercise your spiritual muscles? So that as these moments come in life like they did for Peter, that you and I are growing up into our discipleship. Listen how Peter talks about discipleship in that same book in 1 Peter. Listen to the process words within this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human hands, by chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built you hear all the present tenseness to Peter's description of discipleship? 
You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're practicing, you're stumbling and falling as your spiritual offering. See, I always think the things that we stumble out of the things that we're not supposed to let anybody else see. Maybe the loudest thing the Christian church could say today is just, I'm sorry, or I screwed up. What if that could be the most powerful part of your witness? Just the authenticity of brokenness and showing and pointing towards a Savior whose grace and forgiveness knows no end. I think it really is. You can ask John and the rest of the team to come back up. We're going to sing a closing song. And as they come up, we're going to ask you guys to stand. And if I could, can I ask you to close your eyes? And in the same way that Jesus spoke an aspirational name over Peter that he would live into, I want you to hear Peter's aspirational words for followers of his Savior. But you, you are a chosen people. You are part of a royal priesthood. You, you are not the sum of Satan's lies. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. He's not angry at you. When you sin, he is sad for you. Eager to dust you off and pick you up. So that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It is true, once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. And so over your life, and everything in it, the voice from the throne of heaven thunders, Behold, I am making all things.